Well, brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, as you can imagine, the first chapter, there's only one, will be in verses 17 through 23 today. While you turn there, I'll say a few words of introduction. Living in America, it's often thought by outsiders, those in foreign countries, that America is a Christian nation. If you look at the surveys over the last hundred years, the, 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 the way that Christianity has grown, a hundred years ago there were 600 million people who were professing Jesus. And today, if you look up the statistics, it's something like 2.6 billion people in the world who profess Christ. Yet the state of theology in America is shocking. In Ligonier's survey in 2022, where they did the state of theology survey they do every two years, they recorded that more than 53% of evangelicals, American evangelicals, will say that Jesus was a great teacher, but that He was not God. 53% also say that the Bible is not literally true. 67% of evangelical quote-unquote Christians say that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And 55% of Christians say that they have no obligation to join a local congregation. In 2010, there was about 78% of America that would have said they were Christians and two years ago in 2021 that number dropped 15% as 63% would profess to be Christians in America. We live in a day where the truth of the gospel and the, the, the truths of the faith which we have been delivered are under vast attack. And they're not under attack simply in the world and in the media. They're attack in the church. And we have to ask the question, how do you hold fast when all the world is turning against the truth? And that's what Jude comes to tell us today in Jude verses 17 through 23. Well, let me pray. And let me read the text for us, and we will jump in. Let's pray together. Our great God, this is Your Word. Every word breathed from Your mouth. And we do pray, speak, O Lord. Your servants listen. We pray, come and build us up in the faith delivered to us. And we pray that you would do it for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jude, verses 17 through 23, hear the word of God. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. 
but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Amen. The sins of the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word may write its truths on each of our hearts. Well, brothers and sisters, today I have a proposition and two points for you. The proposition is a question. How do you live in the age of falling away? How do you live in the age of falling away? And and Jude gives us two ways to live as Christians in the current age. By remembering God is on the throne. And by watching over yourselves and others. How do you live in the age of falling away? By remembering God is on the throne and by watching over yourselves and others. See how Jude opens our passage to us today. So how do you live in an age of falling away? By remembering God is on the throne. See verse 17 as Jude writes. Jude says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Jude, we will not finish it today. We will only address this particular passage. We will not get to the doxology today. That will be for next week. But we are in a major transition. As you can see, verse 17 begins with the word, but... He has just spent verses 5 through 16 telling us of the danger of false teachers. As verse 4 said, there are men who have crept into the church and they are denying the dominion of Christ and they are living in sensuality. And they are leading God's people whom they are sitting with day after day at love feasts as shepherds. And they are leading God's people to deny the supremacy of Christ. And so the question becomes, we know the danger, we know the destiny, we know the disappointment of false teachers as verses 5 through 16 describe. But Jude, how do we live? Which is what Jude comes to today. Surely everyone in this room knows friends and family who once professed the Lord Jesus and have left Him. And every one of our hearts has said, wouldn't it be better to go this way than to stand firm? And so Jude comes to tell us how to stand as Christians. And the very first thing He tells you is to remember. Uh, Just as he did in verse 5 of Jude. In verse 5, he told the Christians that he wants to remind them 
of something they once knew but had forgotten. And now in verse 17, he says, I come to remind you and tell, command you to remember something. You need to remember what God has said in the, in the past. Your Old Testament is extremely significant for your Christian life. We're going through Hebrews in Sunday school. We know it's significant. But you also need to remember what God said would come. You not only need to remember what He said in the past, you need to know what He said about the future, which is what Jude brings out in verse 17. I often bring up this idea of remembering, and it's not particularly me. The Bible brings it up often. And if you ask the question, why does the Bible tell you to remember so often? You can see it at the beginning of these two major sections. Verse 5, beginning of the major section on these false teachers. He has to tell them to remember. And then verse 17, telling them how to live. He tells them, to, beginning by how to remember. You need to remember. And we are told to remember because we are prone to forget. You're prone to forget. Whether uh, I know, as uh, I think it's a generality that husbands forget a lot of things. But every Christian forgets these things. We all forget, and there is a great warning in forgetting. What happened in the garden? Adam and Eve forget their Creator. What happens uh, in the days of Enoch? That by Enoch's day, the world has gone into ungodliness, as we just saw in verses 14 through 16. What happens in Noah's day? The world forgot their Creator. In Israel's day, in the wilderness, they forget. Even the New Testament churches in Revelation, Jesus comes, church of Ephesus, the very first one, and He says, remember your first love. Why? Because we forget as Christians. And there's a great warning the Apostle Paul gives in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 3 and verse 4. He says, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, which is what's happening in Jude, or if you, uh, it, you receive it readily enough, if you accept a different gospel from the one we accepted, you put up with it readily enough. We forget the truth to the detriments of our own souls. The problem is, is that as Christians, we are way too tolerant. Do you sense your tolerance? We forget and abandon our love for Jesus. And we exchange it for so many other things. Trifles. And he comes in verse 17 to tell us to remember. And the object, the, 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 notice what we are to remember in verse 17. He says, but you must remember, beloved... 
What do we remember, Jude? The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the time Jude is writing, Paul and Peter have already written their corpuses. And Paul is more than likely gone and Peter as well. And both of these men spoke of false teachers coming into the church. Peter said, they're coming. And Jude says, they're here. And if you wonder, it would almost make you begin to wonder, Jesus said He's going to build His church, Matthew 16, 18. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then you see false teachers ravishing the church on every side. By the time 3 John has written Diotrephes opposing the apostle himself. False teachers everywhere. And if you look in our own day, if you go home and you turn on the television, which I'm not recommending, you'll find on that Christian station many things that are opposed to the true faith. Men who are in the line of Cain and have the greed of Balaam and are in the line with the sons of Korah seeking to establish their own authority and leading millions with them. If you turn on National Geographic, they openly deny the basic truths of the Christian gospel. Denying the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the resurrection, the inerrancy of Scripture. We're surrounded by those who deny the truth. And if you look at all these things, If it wasn't for God telling you they would come, you might wonder. But but Jude comes to ground us saying that God told you beforehand that you might hold fast when it came. Do not think it's strange that false teachers are in the world. Do not think it's strange that men are coming into churches and seeking to wreak havoc upon the bride of Jesus. Satan hates the Lord Jesus, and he hates his church. The picture we get in Revelation 12, Satan cast down and seeking to wreak havoc upon the the bride of Christ, the woman. And so Jude comes and he says, brothers and sisters, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange that your friends who once professed the truth now do not. It is sorrowful. But don't think it's strange that there's false teachers coming into the church. It's sorrowful. But we have a Savior who verse 4 truly says is the Lord and Master. And all things are moving according to His purposes. We live in a day of scoffers. But He told you they would come. If they didn't come, we would be more concerned at this point. Brothers, we need to remember that these men will come. And in verse 18 and 19, they told you that in the last times, you're in the last days, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause what? Divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Brothers, 
when Christ was in the world, remember the opposition. Light and darkness do not dwell together, and inevitably there will be conflict. Jesus said, John 15, 20, If they persecuted me, your master, they will also persecute you. But as Philippians 1, verses 28 and 29 says, it's not only given you to believe in the Lord Jesus, it's a gift that you believe, but it's also a gift that you should suffer for His namesake. Brothers and sisters, how are you to live in an age of falling away? You're to live by remembering God is on the throne. He told you beforehand that this would come. And how are you to live in an age of falling away by watching over yourselves and others? Verse 20 of Jude. See what he says. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the contrast. The contrast of verses 19 and 20. That there are ungodly people who are following after their own ungodly passions who are causing divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but as opposed to those people who are tearing down and who do not have the Spirit of God, what do we do? We build up and we have the Spirit. There are those who grieve the Holy Spirit, but we are those who walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. I wonder if you grabbed on to that word that Jude just called. He said it twice already on our passage. Verses 17 and 20, he says, But you, beloved. Jude reminds us of who we are. It goes back to verse 1 of this book, where it says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father. Jude wants to remind you of who you are as he calls you to build yourselves up in how God has ordained you to walk. But it is lovely that he calls us beloved because you know the only way you and I can be beloved? It's not because you and I are lovely. We're not lovely. We are a lot less lovely than we think. But we are beloved because of the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, who Matthew three seventeen has the declaration said of Him from the Father, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The reason you are beloved is because of the gospel of Christ. That Jesus has transformed you from being unlovely to make you lovely. And He reminds you with this one word of the goodness of God in the gospel for you that you're now beloved. And then He tells you what to do. He tells you, but you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He tells you the sphere in which you're to build yourself up. And the sphere in which we are building is our most holy faith. You have to love that Paul 
this isn't Paul writing, obviously, but Paul's one of his favorite illustrations is building. He talks about the, uh, being built as a temple for the living God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about how we build not wood, hay, stone, stubble, things that perish, but we use uh, precious stones, gold, and silver as we build with the truth. But the place we are to build is not some, some subjective faith. It's not individualized. But notice the, the faith in which we build ourselves up, your most holy faith. It's foundational. In a world that is falling away, you, Christian, must find your surety and security in the Word of God, which reveals the truth of God for the saints of God, that they might be conformed to the Son of God. The Lord has given us the final word. The Lord has said and He has declared by the apostles and the prophets and given us a firm foundation, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, whereby we can build ourselves up. Christian, are you reading your Bible? Are you building yourselves up? I think if the Puritans were to examine us today, they would be amazed at this black box that's basically connected to our hands. And they would be shocked and surprised it's not a black book. Here we are commanded to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And brothers, where else would you go to grow as a Christian? What does Jesus do when He's being tempted by the tempter in Matthew 4 as He's being hurled with fiery darts from the devil? He, he re retorts back with, It is written. It is written. It is written. We do not come with, with various elegant ways to, to, to defend ourselves against Satan. We have the truth. As I said a few weeks ago, the Lord is not telling you to just go do something. He wants you to stand. So Christians stand on the truth. We're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. But then He says this phrase, and praying in the Holy Spirit. He's telling you, do not go to the level of scoffers and dividers, but pray. The weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, are not worldly, but are spiritual to the destroying of principalities and powers and strongholds. The Holy Spirit causes us to pray. He directs us to pray according to the will of God, that the saints of God, that we might be built. But He not only takes our prayers, which is one of the lovely things that He does, He, he takes our prayers and he, and he conforms them to the will of God as they ascend to the throne of God. But the Holy Spirit also, in the words of Romans chapter 8, Verse 26, He intercedes for you. It is lovely 
Brothers and sisters, you and I do not keep ourselves. But even before he gives the command in verse 21, he tells you of the one through whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. He tells you of one through whom is working in you in every season. Through whom we pray. I want you to spend yourself on these ordinary means. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to hold firm in a world that is turbulent, brothers and sisters, read your Bibles and pray. It's not gimmicks. This is the ordinary ways God grows His people. Don't go after gimmicks. Come here. Spend time in prayer with your Lord. Why will you spend yourself for things that don't satisfy? The Lord calls you. He beckons you. He beckons you with a Bible full of good and great truth. He builds you with the truth of the great gospel of His Son. He tells you of great things working in you and through you by the Spirit. Why would you go anywhere else? It is a call to the ordinary means of grace. But I want, to see, I want you to see as Jude commands us on our lives here. Verse 21. We're building. We're praying. But he commands, verse 21. Christian, keep yourselves... And the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He commands you to keep yourselves. And you say, well, Jonas, the Lord keeps me, right? I know that. Verse 1 tells me that we are kept by God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 tells me that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. What does he mean commanding me to keep myself? And how do, I, how do I do that? The manner in which you do it is that participle which follows it. Sorry, English teaching here. How do you keep yourself? By waiting. You keep yourself by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do your affections wait for Jesus? Do you long for Him? The Lord calls us to come and have affections that are longing for Christ. on keeping yourself, there is a proclivity in each of our hearts to run away. And Romans 7 tells us we should be very cautious with our own hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, the father speaking to his son, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. Jesus commands Peter 
and the three apostles in the garden, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the apostle commands, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is a proclivity in the Christian to run, and there is a proclivity in the Christian to fall. John Bradford say, as he was watching a criminal heading toward his execution, he said, but for the grace of God, so goes John Bradford. Christian, There is a proclivity where any person can fall. I tell you, set your affections on Jesus. If you love Him more than all, you will be willing to lose all. And in truth, none of us in this room have been faithful None of us have been faithful to build ourselves up in the Word of God. None of us have been faithful to pray as we ought. None of us have kept watch over our souls as we ought to. None of us have waited. In truth, we need the mercy that Jude speaks of, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should long for His mercy. We should long for this pity of Jesus because we say with the hymn writer, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart taken. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It is the great sound of the gospel that is the encouragement of the Christian that His grace is greater than all our sin. We indeed keep ourselves watching our hearts and waiting for the person of Jesus and His coming. You know, Genesis to Revelation is really waiting. Genesis 3.15, the Lord promises that there's going to be a son born to Eve. And what do they do? They wait for him. She names her first son Cain. Why? Because I've gotten a man. The Lord's fulfilling His promise. Well, that was a dud. Or how does the book, the last book of the Bible end? The John the Revelator saying, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We just saw Enoch waiting for the coming of Jesus. The Lord, behold, the Lord will come with ten thousands of His holy ones. All of Scripture has been waiting for the Lord Christ. And our hearts ought to be fixed upon that day. But Christian, not only are you to wait, but you are also to help one another. How are we living in this age of falling away? Well, we're living not only by building ourselves up, not only by praying, not only by keeping and waiting, but also by helping. Verse 21, 
Jude writes, keep, sorry, verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Notice what he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy, hating even the garment. Mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Notice, God commands His church to care for one another. Brothers, sisters, I want you to hear that. The Lord commands you today to care for each other. Some of you don't want to be cared for. We need each other to care for one another. I hope you're connected in this congregation. I hope you find brothers and sisters through whom you can walk through the tyranny of this world with, who can help you wait for the coming of Jesus. God commands us to care for one another. This word in verse 22, have mercy, is the word elieo, which is used throughout the Gospels. And you have to love. It has not only the sense of mercy, but pity. Do you view yourself as someone in need of pity? Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, Jesus is passing on the way and He has two blind men and they use this word. And they followed Him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, Son of David. Have mercy on us, Son of David. There's three different uh, groups of people who need mercy here. Did you notice that verse 22, those... Then 23, others. Verse 23, others. There's those who doubt. There's others that are on the edge of fire, in fire. And then there's others who are in the, the, the pits of sin. And in, of all those, we should have bowels of mercy towards one another. Are you doubting in your Christian life? I hope you find brothers and sisters who have love and mercy for you. Are you in the midst of flames as you dabble with sin that will destroy you? I hope you find brothers and sisters who tell you of a merciful Savior. And perhaps you are in the midst of dreadful sin. There is mercy for you in the gospel. Hebrews 3.13 tells us to exhort one another while it is today, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As we close, the world is a dangerous place. There are slews of despond on every side. And Christian, you need other Christians. The Word tells you it is true. Church is not an option. It is a necessity. Have you ever doubted? Have you ever been in the flames? Has your garments been stained? Truly, we all 
in some way or another have been in desperate need of mercy. And in the grace of Christ, Christ has come to save those. At best, we were those who doubted. At very best. Most all of us were in fire and in stained. Most all of us were as Zechariah before the Lord in, in, in that day where the angel of the Lord says, remove his unclean garments and give him clean garments. All of us need the Savior to have mercy upon us. And I want you to know, Christ has an abundance of mercy for you. There is more pity and love in Him then there are stains in you. And it delights the Savior to have mercy. So brothers, come to Him and care for one another. We have a Savior who teaches us to do such things. But perhaps you have never come to the Savior. Perhaps you remain in your stained garments. Brothers or friends, I tell you, flee to Jesus. He has plenty of mercy for you. And you will find a refuge for your souls. So how do we live in an age of falling away? We live by remembering God is on the throne. And we live by watching over ourselves and others. Let's pray.